Jack Roland Podcast, check it out. The Jack Roland Experience. Dream by day, Jack Roland Podcast by night, all day. Uh-huh. Please, please, please don't sue me, Joe Rogan. I still live paycheck to paycheck. Howdy doody, everyone. Welcome to Into Deep. I'm your host, Jack Roland. Today, I chat with the insanely talented Miles Johnston. Do yourself a favor and check out his work right now on his Instagram. It's at miles underscore art, and that's miles with an I. Or just Google image search his name. His works are primarily drawings, but also some paintings too, and are a surrealist depiction of the human experience. He dives deep into dark psychological and emotional states, often with tripped out dreamlike psychedelia, and all done with beautiful technical precision. His works are incredibly evocative, and as you can tell by this interview, I am such a big fan. I loved this conversation, and I hope you do too. Enjoy this chat with Miles Johnston. Is there a point to all this? I think we're getting in too deep. You don't apply. Bad luck. Well, I have one speed, I have one gear. Go, 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 I'll tell you when we're getting in too deep, too deep, too deep. Miles Johnston, how are you, mate? I'm good, thank you. Good to meet you. <laughs> you yeah, so, great to Jack, meet you, right? Jack. That's it. Yeah. Um, thank yes. you so much for um coming on into deep. Your work is um really, really mind blowing, man. Um, I'll I'll get to the praise, you know, in due course. <laughs> but yeah, I was actually wondering. You're in Sweden right now, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. What's um what's 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 it like being in Europe in these chaotic times? Well, Sweden is um I've been been seeing it get a bit of press overseas for their um they're doing a really they're not really doing a full lockdown like a lot of other countries and it's a bit of an experiment that'll either go very wrong or life feels surprisingly normal here. I mean, me and my mm-hmm. girlfriend and and our friends are all kind of staying in our places, but sometimes when I go out to the supermarket, you'll just see restaurants with quite a few people in them, and it makes it feel like I'm LARPing a global pandemic, like mm. I'm just sort of live-action role-playing, and then <laughs> I'll go out and the <laughs> life is going on. But next to, like, Denmark and Norway, they're sort of, you know, the death rate already seems to be climbing higher, and I, I think it's maybe inevitable that they'll... I mean, schools have closed, and a lot of businesses are working from home, but there's no sort of enforced lockdown of restaurants and shops yeah and um oh that's good to hear well it's, general, I mean, it's good yeah. for you that you can actually get um food every restaurant and bar yeah. is all closed in australia it's kind there's of a, like a couple restaurants that we so don't want to go out of business that we've been getting takeout from yeah there's this um yeah there's a just a thai restaurant in town that we think is the best food in malmo yep it's like I've never been to Thailand, but my girlfriend's family went a lot growing up and they say this is like the only one that actually tastes like like Thai food that you get in Thailand instead of like takeout yep. Thai. And it's unreal. So Yeah. It's kind of weird. Like, I feel like every cafe or restaurant <laughs> that closes, it's like, well, that's it. <laughs> I mean, I'd be very surprised if I know. they reopen their doors. Um, unfortunately, it's just like necessary. Yeah, I think it... Mm. I mean, it's just um, unbelievable 
I mean, there's so many things to say, but yeah, it's interesting how um, how much it's sort of exposing and sort of, you know, we've got this huge, massive scale civilization that is sort of incredibly fragile in another way. Yeah. And there's something, I mean, I just wonder how, what the sort of ripple, like carry on effects are going to be over the next years from this event, whether it's I mean, you see places experimenting or taking the idea of a sort of basic income more seriously, mm-hmm. or I, I think there's just something about this sort of moment where you're seeing, like, I think the climate movement will be talking about this for a long time because there's so many things that felt like, you know, when you talk about what it would take to start seriously cutting carbon emissions, mm. um, often the feeling is like, that these uh, mass scale behaviors are simply unchangeable, but you look at how quickly almost anything, any, any part of human life is sort of being exposed as just something that can stop or could be very different. And I think that's sort of not claiming any clear idea of what any of it will mean good or bad. I just think it's going to be something people reference a lot for, years to come yeah everyone's gonna have their take on what it means (laughs) i agree it's really funny because i've just been watching some programs and um in the show people just go up to each other like documentaries and hug and kiss and um just because of the whole social distancing's already like kind of getting to an ingraining period over you know after two weeks you see people hugging and kissing like wow that's a bit close i wonder whether we'll all basically go the way of you know how people are in japan keeping 1.5 meter distance and bowing instead of shaking hands. And, uh, you know, mm. if we get used to it so deeply after a year, um, can, I can, I can imagine. Yeah. It I don't know. It, it'll be that, or it's just going to be, um, like, I think it's going to be an amazing, I hope it's a really good time when it becomes apparent that, uh, yeah, whether there's sort of more effective treatments or, in the real long term a vaccine but that seems a long way off if you listen to anyone who sort of really seems to understand the science behind it yeah but um i don't know maybe some sort of herd immunity building or antivirals or whatever Mm. i am not a vaccine scientist as you may have noticed (laughs) not a good time for (laughs) anti-vaxxers not a disease specialist yeah um i don't know i had this i had this show uh this solo show that was going to happen this month and oh, um no. obviously not oh but sort of just indefinitely postponed we're waiting for the right moment mm. but we, we were thinking the other day that if we can time it right sort of pick the months that people are allowed to sort of feel feel comfortable going out again it would actually be a really fun time to have a sort of celebration and to put something fun on so you've got but that's just ready to it's go been, i've never yes exactly i had i had everything finished and um yeah no we got some plans for it i can't talk too much about yeah no problem it'll be good (laughs) yeah (laughs) i hope i hope that time comes because uh yeah it's a weird time for artists yeah hey i mean on one hand you know nothing really it's probably the best time for any kind of creative to you know not prioritize the jobs and really hone in on their on their craft Mm. i think i feel like a lot of interesting Mm. art will be made however so many opportunities may just cease to exist or completely dry up. So it will be interesting to see, I don't know, what 
the state of the art world is in a few months' time or a year's time? Yeah, yeah. I think a lot of galleries won't be able to, like many small businesses, probably can't take the hit in the long run unless there are ways to adapt. But I, I think it's kind of getting to this point where you feel like, um, depending on the country, you know, there's there might be kinds of. I don't know, are there going to be kinds of mortgage payment relief or mm. ways to try to help? But it's. I think the reason it's just grinding everything to a halt is, you know, okay, you want to have, you want to have a rent strike because people can't work and then the landlords need a mortgage relief or businesses need mortgage relief. And then you look at how that is all set up in the sort of financial world. And there's always just someone who can't, like none of it can just grind to a halt. Mm. And it's sort of, you know, yeah. Um, yeah, we're getting at the same a lot of time, messages. You know, yeah, from the government. Like we're 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 just currently they've just. I feel too of... dumb to have a real opinion on any of this. <laughs> yeah. But... yeah, they're kind of just starting to un un like lay out all those things at the moment. Um, giving the making the banks ease up on mortgages. We're just getting a new scheme called JobKeeper instead of JobSeeker. So should be getting mm. about fifteen hundred dollars. A, a fortnight from the government to stay in work so you know all that kind of stuff is happening it's really yeah and again this, this mm. ideas of like universal basic income are kind of temporarily coming into play it's um it's a funny little mm. spin of events yeah yeah i think what's going to be really interesting is to see how much that affects sort of public perception of that as a more permanent mm. um I mean, because, you know, this is obviously one very specific example where it's, um, you know, solves a, a lot of problems for a lot of people if they can pay mm. rent and get food in absence of work. But, you know, you think about the trends of continuing automation, just how how much a company like Amazon will slowly be able to reduce its workforce. You know, you think of drone delivery robots and yeah. warehouse workers and, you know, you just have the kind of increasing ability to extract wealth from our economy into a company of you know eventually like 50 people or something mm. and you can really see the trend for the, you know I, I i get the argument for why basic income is maybe a kind of idea that's helpful i don't think it's sort of a silver bullet mm. Mm. or uh, i don't know yeah, I listen. You know, it's 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 hard for me to talk about as I try to talk about things I don't really understand that well. I find it hard not to listen at the same time and just imagine <laughs> hearing me from a more educated perspective and thinking, <laughs> well, you know, yeah, it's kind of funny because um, I feel like with your work there is so many kind of like existentialism kind of themes that kind of uh mm. come up and i was wondering yeah it's it's you know now we're actually in like an existential kind of crisis of because like the planet's doing all well, right I, just humans aren't i guess it comes from a, i mean i think there's just a fundamental vulnerability mm. for everyone i mean the illusion that you were ever safe do you know what i mean the yep. security was ever achievable in uh you know, I mean, obviously there's degrees to which, you know, you're more safe growing up in a cushy household in the West than you are 
in a war zone, but I just mean from a sort of, you know, the perspective is to live forever. It's not going to work out very mm. well. Yeah. And, but I, it's not that I sort of want that to be this, uh, the goal isn't to sort of bum everyone out or yeah. be super depressing. I've just always been drawn to the idea of, uh, I guess it's my way to try and, like I don't have any sort of answers or solutions to the deeper questions in life, but just sort of an honest exploration or expressing them, I find comforting. I've always found that growing up, it's like I didn't need someone to tell me that everything was going to be okay, but just like finding other people who seemed to not be ignoring the problem mm. that was frustrating me was comforting. Yeah. You know, it's like some, something about people being able to come to come together and just like honestly say, yeah, no, I have no idea what's going on either. Yeah. was just such a huge relief to me. Yeah, it was yeah. like, a, I didn't, you know, often you don't actually need someone to patronize you and uh, lie to you and say they got it figured out. Hmm. In fact, that always just felt uncomfortable to me. Hmm. You with like with your work, you're, I just here, here comes the praise, mate. <laughs> um, but it is, uh, it's just so it's uh, your work is really poetic, I think. Um, and again, it doesn't necessarily provide answers, but it's, um, I mean, it's what all great music or poetry or art does is it shines the light on certain things. I mean, just looking at your work, I mean, you touch on so many, um, crucial emotions and outlooks and questions I think I mean so many works will like highlight issues of anxiety or isolation or depression or love or you know enlightenment and, and divinity um even like psychedelia and you know spiritual ideas and it, it um to be honest it blows me away your combination of um technical ability of just or technical mastery uh evocative concepts and also being able to uh, put out a completely made-up image that is um, uh, compositionally beautiful, very um, theatrical, um, really kind of just moving, really moving work. Yeah. Um, and I, pro I think probably one of the biggest things that spins me out, and I, and I say this with so much res like respect, is you're quite a young artist. You're, are you 20? How old are you now? Yeah, 27 this March. 27. So I kind of was looking on your website of what you put out. That would make you like 23 when that body of work from 2016 was um, that you've put up. Yeah. So, I mean, that's for me, I just feel your ability to illustrate and uh, I mean, I've tried in the past, especially probably maybe around that um, – that age in my early twenties, I'm 32 now. Um, so not too far off, yeah. but, um, you know, if I, if I do try to kind of convey an emotion or, or make it a bit more literal, it always just ends up coming out so cheesy or like, you know, hacky. Um, yeah. and, and yours is just uh, not yes. that. Yours well, is so that's amazing. The, <laughs> that's the risk for, I was thinking about this, like, uh, you know, that's kind of like the stakes when you're trying to be sincere, right? Like mm -hmm. the more, sincere you're being with something the more exposed you are to irony in a way right like it's like the it's like bands like nickelback if you really listen to the <laughs> lyrics you know they're just 
they're just being honest about something kind of nice. Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan, but, you know, look at this photograph. Every time I do, makes me laugh. It's like, <laughs> yeah, you know, it's nice to look at old photos of yourself and yep. have good memories. But it's something about in the execution or in, like, everyone's cringe setting is set differently. And um, in a way, a lot of the technical stuff, the compositional skills to me are about, like, somehow giving people permission to let their guard down. This is something I've noticed myself, but it's like when someone wants to speak to something um, like something vulnerable in you or speak, you know, it's, it's that the difference between like sometimes something really cheesy and something really good. If you wrote out the artist's intentions, they're like identical. Mm. And I think I heard there's a great painter called Vincent Desiderio. And I think my friend was trying to explain this idea of what did he call it? Like a technical narrative. But I mean, he had a whole thing that tech technique and narrative are sort of actually um, wedded together in a way that you can't, you can't just separate the concepts and the execution because it's, it is the way in which the concept is executed is the artwork often. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't necessarily mean just making it um, as realistic as possible, but just there's a sort of like even works that are highly abstract or highly stylized. There's a difference you can see when it's there's there's a sort of thing I would call like execution or like, you know, just how it's very hard to define, but just how well drawn something is essentially, which is not the same as how realistic, but mm. um and the other thing would be when I try too hard to come up with a concept uh, and have it make sense from the beginning, it always ends up feeling a bit, um, a bit forced, a bit like a sort of psychedelic political cartoon, you know, where it's <laughs> like, here's the banks with the big hammer. Yeah, here's exactly. the, like, everything's like labeled and it's like overspelled out for you. Yep. And I yeah, think exactly. often people make the mistake of doing like the images that I'm looking for are I don't want something that's just absurd. It's just a bunch of stuff you've never seen together because that ends up feeling like what I call like too loose. It's too like, um, yeah, it's just a bunch of stuff I wouldn't expect to see together. You know, it's like, it's like I always feel a bit self-conscious when I do something with too many eyeballs. Cause that's kind of like the classic Oh man, but stick eyeballs on everything, you, you know, nailed it, but sometimes you've got to stick eyeballs on everything. Um, <laughs> You really, um, and you really nailed it. Like that, that was, was just a girl. Say, oh, sorry, please. Yeah. I was just going to say the other, the other side, what we're just, what I was saying before would be like too tight, like too overdefined. There's no room for, um, for the viewer to take part in the artwork. You know, when, when I think of a piece of artwork as just the thing that unifies any art form is you're just sort of curating a present moment for someone, you know, the, the real medium is not graphite or oil, but it's just attention. It's other people's consciousness. And whether you've drawn a picture or cooked a really good meal or made a play or written a movie, like the sort of thing that unifies different art forms is you are curating and designing an experience like a present moment for someone. And, um, you know, I, I always think that really engaging artwork is like not so loose that you just look at it and think, yeah, I don't know, 
it's just weird. Uh, I'm not so tight that um, it's too obvious and you don't feel like you get to take part. It's like somehow looking for those images that have enough that you you sort of feel maybe unconsciously you understand it, but you couldn't explain to someone else why. And so you end up being stuck there for a while trying to find different ways to interpret it. And I really like making pictures that could have multiple, sometimes even opposite interpretations that all fit as well. Mm. So it's like, I, it's like trying to make something really like fertile for having meaning, but without it being completely locked in. And that's sort of like, I can't do that consciously. I have to just basically sketch until I find things that just feel interesting. Mm. And then I just trust basically that if you've drawn a few things and you have a preference for one and not the other, it must represent something going on inside of you, this preference. And it's even better if you don't understand why. If you're just looking at it and you're like, man, that one really has something. And I couldn't even tell you why you get to sort of take part as the artist. And often halfway through, I start to like realize, um, you know, often in hindsight, it makes so much sense why I made something at a certain period, but the whole time I was making it, I truly just felt like there's something here, but I have no idea what this means. Mm. And that's, those are the most exciting ones. Cause I'm sort of trying to figure, you know, figure it out by doing it. So. I think, yeah, I mean, I think that's what really makes you such uh so the strength of you as an artist. I mean, like you were saying before, so many people uh, just have so much amazing ability to uh, draw or paint realism. However, the you know they, I mean, uh, when I first went to art school, I, I had amazing ability, but I had no idea what to make. I didn't have, yeah, I hadn't uh, refined any ideas. I didn't really know what I wanted to say. It took took quite a while before I, you know, a few years before I've, I found my feet. But I mean, many many artists that even uh, really successful artists often lack, uh, often can lack content, but their ability is incredible or sometimes the other way around. Um, but uh, your work is really kind of the perfect storm of, yeah, uh, technical ability um, and, and just con- content. It's, um, I mean, it's kind of like when you, I'm sure everyone has this feeling when you discover a new band, you know, often you you know, three or four tracks on the album that you really like, maybe two or three, but mm. every now and then you find one album where it's just every single track is just, <laughs> that's it. Mm. I found it. This is what I need. I haven't seen one, one of your works. Oh, thanks. That, yeah. That blows every single one. Of well, trust me, there's plenty away. of bad ones. Yeah. I was wondering. <laughs> it's, uh, like, it's It seems much less, much less impressive from my perspective. Um, <laughs> that's the artist curse. I mean, I, I got into, I feel like a lot of the being young part is just weird, lucky timing and also like, yeah, giving credit to 13 year old me, but for whatever reason, I um, always bounced around between hobbies like everyone, but always liked drawing. And um, when I was like 13, I was playing a bunch of unreal tournament or something. And I, you know, loved, loved those, uh, people in space armor, you know, like Unreal Tournament, like style armor. And I love drawing that kind of stuff. And I remember looking up the name of the artist who was on the back of one of the boxes. And um, I forget his real name, but he went by like Hawk Prey as like a pseudonym. <laughs> and uh, I found his website. And then, you know, one of the sections that had all the drawings I like was called concept art. 
like I clicked on it and I was like, concept art, what does that mean? Googled that and found this forum called conceptart.org, which used to be pretty big in the sort of mid 2000s to around 2010, 11-ish. And um, I think even when I got on in 2006, there were some people saying I'd missed the golden age of earlier, but I think it was a really amazing forum at the time. You had, so if you imagine pre-social media internet, I think was much better for, I feel like I kind of hit the right window, but maybe everyone feels that way as a teenage artist, because there was, there wasn't this sense that there was like everyone who's on social media feels like they're, um, you know, it's like playing a lottery and they're waiting for their lottery ticket to sort of take them out of their regular life. If this can blow up, you know, we can all become an influencer. And, um, I've definitely had those back on the forums. It, it it had an ethic completely of. I mean, I say all that, you know, like making fun of myself for being more involved than most people. I'm mm-hmm. being on social media. I'm not sort of passively judging everyone else, you know. Yeah. But um, but yeah, like forums were an amazing place to learn to draw because it was much slower pace. Everyone would really take a long time to write sort of thoughtful responses and there was just a very different community ethic of um it was kind of like considered bad form to just be out for compliments you know it was like you should want like the best thing someone can do for you here is like constructively leave some feedback and help you actually get better Hmm. and i think that attitude just really worked for me for whatever reason at that age and i started what was called a sketchbook thread where you would um, just post work, you know, that you were doing all the time, not really finished stuff. It could be finished stuff, but it could be whatever sketches or studies you were working on and people would sort of come in and maybe recommend some resources that they thought would help you. And I just kind of started posting in this thing a few times a week, sometimes daily. And I kept it up from like 13 to 18. And by the time I was, uh, at that age where I was going to go to university, I'd sort of made some made some good art gains and enough to convince my parents that uh, I wasn't throwing my life away if I wanted to become an artist. And they helped me go to this atelier in Sweden, which is where I teach now and why I live out here. But I, I only I found out about it because a friend of mine on the forum was posting these you know, like super beautiful life studies. And I just remember thinking, because I've been looking at universities that were teaching art in England, and I just kept thinking, like, no one draws at any of these things. Like, I've been, you know, if, if you've seriously drawn for a few years, you probably have, like, using the internet, you can easily get yourself to a sort of level where I just felt like a lot of these places were, I would be taking out a loan to, have someone tell me to draw, but it, I just wanted like some practical training. And um, so, yeah, so I found this school that was like 99% life drawing and um, studied there for three years. And then God, it's already been like another seven <laughs> since I <Nice>. quit school. <laughs> so now, I mean, like by now I've been like, it's been a serious part of my life for more than half my life. Yeah. You know, it's just been what I do most days. Probably have the most normal work-life balance now than I ever had. That's great. There was some real no-life-for-days in the 
you know, 18, 19, 20 type yeah. years. But I was actually wondering, you can't about do that, that forever. I was, I was wondering because your technique is so well honed, I was actually wondering, but you've also got um, a lot of wisdom and insight, I think, shines through your work. I was wondering whether what the balance of like your your upbringing would have been. Mm. Were, were you out exploring the world or were you introverted and really just sketchbook every day kind of guy or, or a mix of the both? Or on the, t- on the technical thing, I think I've done – I've always kind of had a principle of trying to go deeper on a few concepts and then go really broad. So if you watched me try to draw, there are plenty of things if you watch me trying to sketch them, I think you'd be surprised how bad it turns out. I think it's Mm -hmm. much more that I've, uh, there are some skills that I think I've developed a lot more than others. And a lot of them, like I'd say the thing that I understand the most deeply and not, you know, and there's still so much to learn and understand, but would probably be things like values and light, like how to sort of convincingly use a more sort of realistic value range. And that does a lot for sort of, um, yeah, and just a lot of work into how to really like finish, finish something. Right. You know, um, but like perspective or drawing complex things with multiple characters or, hmm. All kinds of things I would suck at drawing, just so you know. It's very <laughs> obvious again from my perspective. <laughs> Don't believe me, but, um, but um, yeah. <laughs> but growing up, um, I've always been, I would say, like, it's such a boring answer, but a, a sort of quite a big, I feel like I flip between being an extrovert and an introvert. I sort of, um, in most situations, love meeting new people find it quite fun to talk and get to know people and then i'll sort of um i can be very extroverted and annoyingly loud and then i just randomly want to spend a week alone and i don't feel like i have any sort of control over it um but growing up pretty yeah i mean i feel like people have always told me that (laughs) the places I take conversations are weird. <laughs> so, and I feel like a lot of, in a lot of ways, like eventually, um, like I was thinking about like making artwork, right? Like in the end, it is a bit like just being a good conversationalist. Like you find this new way to communicate with people, but whether or not you can make something that people find engaging and interesting, it's really the same skill as trying to just have a conversation. Like it's just this, temporary connection between you and another person you can put a lot more time into what it is you're going to say and present it really well but um yeah i feel, I feel like it, i could i have memories of being a five-year-old and having bizarrely sort of existential thoughts i always thought about you know what it would mean to die like what what happened before i was born why can't i remember infinitely back in time and um, always been obsessed with, but not in a way that used to scare me as a kid. Like it was just like, yeah, I remember being almost like the creepy kid. It'd be like, Oh, I think it's so interesting that we'll, yeah, I'd be so disappointed if I didn't die because I wouldn't find out what the big surprise is. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah, yeah. <laughs> creepy shit like that. <laughs> Say that to your teacher in like I don't know. second grade. <laughs> You just go ask my mum. She'll disillusion you from any. She'll just say it was normal. 
Mm. <laughs> um, no, I mean, I, I remember when I was a bit older and a lot of my work comes from just, you know, it's often, an, I think the nice thing about making artwork is you're not burdened with, you know, this isn't essay writing. We don't have to make a kind of rigorous philosophical sense. It's like you said, it's more poetic and I, I find it much more fun to try to express a sort of feeling or a vibe than, you know, I used to like studying philosophy and writing essays and stuff, but in the end it just, it's so, it's tiring. And it, I, there's that part of me that just wants to like express how something like the truth of how something feels in the moment without having to sort of rigorously think through whether or not my position makes any sense or blah, blah, blah. So, um, yeah, a lot of sort of like Buddhist and existential ideas are, I find very inspiring. Like you said, that sort of fundamental vulnerability being the sort of place that you have to, you know, build your authentic happiness from. Right. You know, it's, yeah. What's the, uh, some, no, I can't remember well enough. But, yeah, it's. I mean, like a book that had a big impact on me was Viktor Frankl, Man's Search for Meaning. Because, oh man, I've read like, that. Often, if you've, if you've, that's an amazing. Yeah, if you've ever tried to be an optimist in the world, you eventually encounter in yourself or in other people a sort of voice of like, "Well, yeah, it's all good for you right now to think that life is a good thing, but you know, imagine if." insert X, you know, and then there's no shortage of the kinds of torture the world seems to produce for people. And um, there's something so powerful about someone who has been almost like saying, you know, I'm pretty close to the limit case of how bad this gets. For people who don't know, he was, um, he was captive in Auschwitz during the Second World War. And this book is sort of him coming to almost like his philosophy of tragic optimism, you know, somehow he finds a place in him that is untouchable by anything in the external world. And regardless of what can happen to him, somehow this realization that um, life is inherently meaningful, if not inherently good, like even in the worst suffering, the struggle to just sort of keep going on was an inherently meaningful mm. struggle for him. And he sort of formed this whole school of therapy, which was around finding his patients a sense of purpose. And they were sometimes really beautiful things. Like if it was like an old person who had nothing left to live for, but had some beautiful memories from their childhood, he would frame that as, you know, you are now the last thing in the universe that remembers this specific beautiful time and to stay alive and just to steward those memories of like a lost love from their youth was a purpose and i just find i don't know i just that's the kind of stuff that gets me mm. things that are just like sad beautiful yeah <laughs> For some reason that's my my chosen flavor of yeah what i'm after that um that book had a really uh quite a profound effect on me as well and um it was um i think one thing that really kind of made me starting to think was so, you know, he illustrates in that book um, some of the cruel things that the Nazis would do. Would They would, um, so, you know, say a, a, a Nazi officer or whatever is in charge of a bunch of, um, of Jews that are being 
basically starved, but he, they would they would pick favorites and they would be like, okay, well, you're still lower than me, but if you rat out your friends, you can have a bit of extra food. So they were actually even mm. playing um, the, the Jewish people off each other. And some people were yeah. really staying strong and some people were, were exactly that, looking out for themselves and ratting out their, their, fellow, uh, their fellow man. And it, things like that, which are just so cruel, like that's really just destroying and crumbling the human spirit right there. But it, yeah. the things that it makes have you, me... Have you read Mouse? No, have you read that read book, Mouse. Mouse? No. Oh, you would... It's incredible. It's, um, it's written by a, a guy whose dad was also in... Yeah, was in Auschwitz. And the book is kind of... Um, it's interviews with his dad that you will watch that are in the present day that the comic was written and then flashbacks as his dad tells stories from, but it really starts kind of before the war and the experience of, of uh, what it was like for like the Nazis to come into power and sort of like how there, there wasn't sort of one moment where you knew it was definitely time to leave. And it comes down to these stories of incredibly, you know, people whose futures and fates were shifted by decisions you would never know held so much weight. And, uh, but it's all illustrated with little, the sort of Jewish family drawn as cute little mice and the Nazis are all cats. Uh, yet it doesn't take away from the sort of um, brutality of it. It's just a really uh, another affecting. Is that a graphic? I mean, it really like blew my mind. It's a graphic novel. Yeah. Mm. And it really like blew my mind how I feel like I've just neglected comics my whole life because I hated superheroes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like I just got nothing from like Marvel superheroes. Like it just looks like the same way. I don't know, like football and like cars and stuff looked to me as a kid. Just like things that had like no inherent interest. Yeah, I was, I was the like same. Marvel comics. Yeah, and then like getting a bit older, it's like I think a friend's dad started lending me. Uh, Alan Moore, Alan Moore, right? Not like, sure. Like sort of Watchmen and okay, V for Vendetta and Watchmen. Someone is going to kill me if I've got that wrong. <laughs> it must be Alan Moore. Uh, and um, yeah, I just want to read more comics now. <laughs> yeah, there's some really great graphics novels out there. Hey, um, yeah, I think it's a great platform. Exactly. But um, yeah, just kind of like back on the uh, Man Search for Meeting book, like. One of the things that always made me like after reading that would I just questioned well, so so many people actually don't know who they are. They don't know exactly who they are, um, and it makes me wonder. Okay, yeah. if I was a Jew in the concentration camp being played by Nazis, would I be? We all. I'd like to think that I'm a man of integrity, but would I crumble or would I stay strong? And if I was a German, I actually, don't think any of us have the right to say until we been there you know it's like every and i think that's what you're getting at is um i don't know how you can know that thing mm. how I you th can know you know if you would die for someone else yeah also like it's, if i was a german uh, if i was a german throughout the war would would i be would i be swept up in the recruits or would i be one of the people that yeah. stands up it's it's i mean yeah you, these are the statistically people most people were that's what i know? mean like you have to remember that these people are, are humans you know they're not no. a different i mean i i like human. to 
I've had powerful moments with friends where, you know, just you have moments where you, you want to believe you're committed to your own convictions to stand up for what's right in the world. Mm. I mean, a lot of my anxiety, I feel like I'm doing better this, this couple of years generally, but I, um, I had like a whole patch where I developed like panic disorder. Like, I don't know if you've ever had any experience with that, but you sort of have, I didn't know what panic attacks were growing up. And if you'd asked me, I probably had like a sort of uh, quite judgmental view that it was like something people said, if they just felt like they had to get out of a situation and they were a little uncomfortable, you know, I probably had that sense of like, Oh, why can't you just deal with it? You know? Right. And then, the first time I had one, I thought I was having a heart attack. Cause like, so like, I think I was like one of, and this happens to so many people like literally called an ambulance. Like I was talking to someone. I probably spent six months at this point where I just got used to the fact that you wake up, you feel like a right. And then it's almost like the first inhale. I don't even know what I remember. I just remember that I'm anxious all the time and I'm anxious, like tightness in chest, difficulty breathing, feel kind of spaced out. And I think it started from some vague hypochondria stuff, you know, um, hypochondriac, but eventually it was just sort of like a pattern I was stuck in. And, um, and then I started having these panic attacks where I would, you know, my pulse would go through the roof, I'd collapse. And I mean, really, really scary, like really just feel like you're like dying or something's going seriously wrong. And it took me a while to figure out they were panic attacks because I think I've sort of been learning that, like whether it's like depression or anxiety, like I, I sort of experience these emotions very physically. And it's maybe linked to why I always want to depict emotional states as sort of physical transformations on people in artwork. But um, yeah, a few years of that, it's like I, w- I spent a long time, you know, when it was not my hypochondria anymore. And, you know, I finally trust that my body is kind of doing its own thing and I don't need to monitor it, you know, then it becomes about, you know, I'll I'll fixate on, yeah, like the climate crisis or what feels like a sort of inevitable civilizational collapse and sometimes get lost in these trains of thoughts about how scary it is. You can feel sometimes how thin the veneer of civilization is between people, you know, the sense of like, I'm more scared of my fellow man than anything else, you know, mm. and men, especially <laughs> it's just yeah. this sense of, of how, how quickly it would, uh, it could get ugly, you know, and you, and you think you're crazy and then you read any history and you're like, no, that's pretty much like kind of how it's gone. Like I, I just, I find reading 20th century history. So, um, I mean, it's terrifying. Like, mm, really, it is. <laughs> I mean, it's probably more. Yeah, there must there must be more human on human death than ever before than in the last century, because of the scale of it. Right. Yeah, you know, maybe not per capita or something, <laughs> but you know, do you, it's sort so of. Do you, do you mean like because I, I mean I've kind of read that now is the safest time that it's that's ever existed in humanity. However, yeah, I think if you look per capita human yeah. violence, but I just mean last Due century. It's, it's hard to look at all the sort of all the genocides that happened and just mm. think like, oh yeah, 
I mean, it's that's that's this conversation me and my girlfriend were having. Like, even in the sort of like most you, you know, there are moments in which I sort of get lost in a sort of you know utopian daydreams about the future or whatever. And you just think like, if we do finally reach a place, you know, let's just let's picture this perfect world we got, like fully renewable energy. We got, um, you know, just clean, limitless energy. We got. You know, solves most economic problems and scarcity. We got sort of, you know, lab-grown meat. We don't have most of the world as farmland anymore, and uh, we can convert the planet back to a sort of, you know, nature reserve, half of it, and et cetera, et cetera. And then you just start to think, even if we reach this place, like, think of every person. Just think of all the suffering it takes to get here. It's just such an unusual kind of universe that you have a planet go through billions of years of nature red in tooth and claw and then civilizations that war and compete with each other and kill each other en masse and slaughter animals by the billions. And then it's like, but then one day we all get to sort of, I don't know, like live in Ray Kurzweil's infinite... <laughs> VR or something. It's, I mean, life is just so weird, man. That's all I'm getting at. Yeah, man. <laughs> no idea. No, totally. Where I'm, yeah. Where I'm done. Um, with um, first of all, yeah, I'm sorry to hear that you had all those anxiety, um, uh, panic attacks and stuff, man. I've I've had a couple in my life, um, not yeah. chronic or anything. Thank God. But um, I really think that your work. Um, I mean, I often kind of think about. I could I could to- so see people with who have struggle with the everyday, you know, struggle with the, with grappling reality. Um, your work offers uh, an insight that um, even like with your works that do highlight things like depression or anxiety um, and the mm. poetry of it does say you're not alone. These are, these are feelings that many mm. people have and your, your art liberates through that, I think. Like there's one, I think, relatively recent sketch that you've got of a man sitting down kind of um with his arms around his knees kind of and just looking down mm-hmm. and there's a giant um chain link going through mm-hmm. his head yeah. and just weighing down and it's just yeah you know it's being yeah he's trapped he's it's heavy it's yeah. he's in a prison he's shackled um yeah and well the fun one about that is like is the prison yeah there's different levels to how much of a problem it is you know so it's like interesting that I see some people take it as the prison of like something temporary. Like I, I find it interesting people's level of hope when they look at an illustration like that, like mm. is he the prisoner to um, like a relationship he shouldn't be in or he's stuck in some temporary thing. And these are sort of optimistic people like, yeah, this sucks, but he's going to get out. And then some think it's a little heavier, maybe as a prisoner to society or to the government. And then you're like, you know, that's a lot, that's a lot harder to get out of, but still, mm. you know, maybe it's temporary. And then you get the sort of the OGs say, no, no, he's a prisoner because of his, he's got a human brain. <laughs> you know, it's like more Gnostic. Yeah, he's yeah. in his flesh prison, you know, it's sort yeah. of, it's like how, but I don't, it's to me, it's like, I, I really am sort of mostly, I would say, I would say I am an optimist, um, but it's like, one of the most useful skills to learn in conversation, right? And especially I think a lot of men need to learn this is, you know, we're very conditioned to believe it's our job to solve problems. And when someone is confiding in you, something is really bugging you. It's quite common for a lot of guys to like, I got, I got to come up with a plan. I got to fix this. 
and often just end up being, you know, continuously trying to come up with plans. And when it's not making the other person feel better, suddenly you start becoming angry that your efforts are ineffective. You know, I think this is a common pattern people go through. I can relate, and it's and actually I, and cool I think, hearing you say that. You know, it's cut, it does put things. <laughs> yeah, in the power is just like just I do listen. That all the time. Yeah, <laughs> I meet me too, and it's the worst. And yep. and I've been trying to learn to just listen, like really listen, let the words land, feel how that must be a problem, and then just like be there for someone. Yeah, and a lot of what I'm trying to do in artwork is like that. It's it's that idea of you actually don't need to come with us like. I actually have so much trust in with like attention, love and time. So many problems actually solve themselves. There are so many situations in relationships I've had with you. If you just have the actual strength to just listen, like be present, tolerate that it feels bad without turning away or turning someone else's pain into your problem. And now you've got to sort you just like being space for them. It's amazing how like people, people normally know what needs to change or how to fix something. Like, I just feel like it's amazing how much like, um, there's like a lot of strength in being more receptive than active perhaps. And a lot of like, that's how I feel about this kind of artwork is just, uh, people a lot of people who are in a really bad way i'm not going to come along and say or write something or give them the plan to fix themselves but just if you can be a little node of understanding that popped up in their life then you know i I feel like it's enough to just push one percent in the right direction it's not on any one of us to necessarily fix the world but if you're just sort of at least not actively making it worse. <laughs> I think that's really awesome advice, actually, man. Some some advice that I could actually yeah. take as well. Uh, very very rumdas of you, you know, for just holding, yeah, just being, sharing the space, yeah, listening, something. Uh, because what I do is, as soon as if I ever, I mean, I feel like you know that's why I li- <laughs> what I like about practicing any form of mindfulness is if you start paying attention to what it's actually like to be you, you can intuitively figure out so much of what would make your life better. Like I find that most people, you actually, you understand yourself, what behaviors you're engaged in that are just kind of addictive patterns and don't bring you any fulfillment. You know, just like everything you're doing, you like try to try to notice the first moment that you, your mind produced the idea of, doing something try to notice what you think doing it will achieve try to notice if in fulfilling this desire it's actually even as satisfying as you thought it would be and then try to notice you know the empty space after that desire is gone and how long until the next one comes in and i think the more you're sort of doing that a lot of i feel like i've been thinking about addiction a lot as the perfect model for our sort of civilizational situation you know we've been addicted to cheap easy growth for so long that we don't understand we can't conceive of what it would mean to be a civilization that doesn't depend on continuous exponential growth and i think so many people so many people recognize the sort of cycle of being caught in wanting just more 
they don't even know what, you know, it's, you, it's almost like any desire that gets fulfilled becomes an expectation. The desire escalates and, you know, you just get trapped in this pattern of needing more and more of something to feel normal anymore. Mm. So I've been thinking a lot about addiction and ways to try and explore these ideas in my artwork too. But, uh, do you, have any, do you have any cruxes <laughs> that you want to talk about? You don't want to put you on the spot or anything, but are there any kind of, um, oh. I'm sure we all have addictions. In Man, but. caffeine, caffeine, uh, the internet. Yep. Um, sometimes nicotine on and off in, in not smoking, but in Sweden they have a uh, snooze, which is like these little yep. tea bags of, yeah. So weird, like the, the tobacco the tobacco free ones while you're drawing that's a dangerous one it's pretty fun yeah um they give you a buzz. i mean like the sort of like, oh definitely yeah no <laughs> sap, cup of coffee that in the morning and some music but it, it, it's actually so frequently too much you get too jittery to draw and then you realize like oh i'm just like it's so funny. I hate. I hated smoking so much as a kid growing up. The propaganda works for me so well. So I would have hated to see me yep. involved in any nicotine. But you know, such is life. Cruel irony. Yeah. Yeah. Um. But that's that's just one of the the occupational hazards of living in Sweden for too long. That's yep. like the thing here. Yeah. Coffee um, and snooze. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. Definitely. Like. Yeah. Like social media for sure. Like it's so hard to. Like, it's been such a beautiful thing that, um, like, I feel very grateful that my presence has grown online to the point that it's become, like, it's become my main job. But at the same time, it's like being married to an incredibly psychologically powerful force that is actually not good for my creativity. You know, like, I, I feel more than anyone, I, like, repost my old stuff too much because I'm, like, passively sat around, like, Oh, am I actually a good person? Maybe some people online can confirm it. You know, it's like, <laughs> totally. <laughs> I like, I'm so, and, and I'm so disgusted watching in my own head, how, how much you like, it doesn't matter how big it grows. Your expectations rise perfectly in sync. So, you know, 15,000 likes feels like 15 likes used to feel. And yep. it doesn't change. You just sort of like nothing changes. It's a total trick. I mean, but what does change are the, material reality of if i release a print run it's now enough to live off for half a year for me and my girlfriend so that's like that's awesome man so that's like obviously well not something i'm gonna i'm gonna move away from because that incentivizes you know in one sense i feel like i have this incentive set up that if i do my best to put in the real work to make work that means something to me that is vulnerable that work tends to connect with people more and so that's a beautiful like feedback loop right like i'm being encouraged to do the work that really matters but it's just closely overlapping with this other feedback loop where i confuse the ex the hard slow difficult work of doing the artwork and your brain thinking the reward is when people tell you you did a good job yeah you know like but like the, if you're not enjoying, if you're not able to connect with and enjoy the other experience, it's just going to feel empty so quickly. So I feel like the thing that does cleanse the social media addiction for me is just that my work is so hard and difficult to make 
that if I, if you know, it, it is sort of innately uh, forces you to reconnect with reality. It doesn't matter. It doesn't care like how many followers you have. It's going to be just as hard to draw tomorrow. And yeah. Yeah. so often I'll just be like, Oh, I've just been thinking about the wrong stuff. I got to start studying again. And, mm. and that, that's what I like about, you know, I think it must drive people crazy to, to have some, uh, online presence for doing nothing but taking selfies. Cause that's, I sometimes <laughs> think the thing that keeps me grounded and sane is that it's tied to a skill that at least I know I had to spend over a decade trying to get good at. So there's some sense of when people like leave positive feedback, I, f- I feel like I can take the compliment genuinely and be like, thank you. Yeah. Like I worked hard on this. Thank you. But if it was just a picture of me and I was just like, yes, I deserve this. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> for yeah. my face that I grew. <laughs> that I, I feel like that must be really actually quite hard to deal with, to be honest. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder whether you would have the same kind of uh, feeling if, I mean, you know, cause art is so linked to you. It's the, you know, your account is, uh, you're selling yeah. Miles Johnston. If you're selling a set, you know, if you came up with a, a brand of shoe or something, whether you'd still have that kind mm. of um, that loop in your head of wondering is, I think that is a, a, a real hard thing with artists. It's like, if you were selling a product, it would be a no brainer. You're like, yes, well, I have to keep feeding this machine to get the the paycheck. But as it's so linked yeah. to yourself and this authentic message that you're trying to get it is it's a weird kind of uh bring i think i heard heard a yeah i know yeah i heard a i heard a um well there's two things i want to say so i heard um some meditation teacher i forget who just call it like the bean counting mind you know it's in everyone like there's a little piece of us that and, and games and social media and whatever know how to exploit this but there's something in you that just likes to see the number get bigger. You know, I think, I think life feels so uh, open-ended and so unclear what, what the goals are and what, um, how to know if you're doing anything right, that people are just hungry to get sucked into uh, some quantifiable system. And I think this is why people get into like, you know, Scientology and cults or multi-level marketing schemes or, getting into a job. It's like someone loves to know, like I'm a level one. And if I just keep my head down two years, I'll be a level two. It's like this. I think people find this deep comfort in, uh, you know, tracking metrics and counting calories at the gym and putting on weight. The scale gets a little bigger. My bench number goes up. It's like when people can get into like, I'm a climbing, I just, I'm at a six B if I can climb a six C it's something about yeah, taking yeah. reality, which is like just overwhelmingly open and oh there's such relief to just momentarily surrender to some system especially if it's got like numbers and grades (laughs) and terminology and oh my god just absorb me into the borg (laughs) and i i you know i love that feeling but you have to i feel like you have to always be able to do it with enough sort of meta awareness to be like you know no this really means anything or that what does matter is um the in the moment meaning you're extracting from it you know i know it doesn't really matter if i climb a 6b or a 6c or a 7a when i'm climbing but i think learning to push yourself and do something you thought was impossible and you know that's meaningful to me i feel the same way about art so but like social media really gets the bean counter out you know he's like he's got his likes he's got his engagement he's got his comments he's got his 
you know, you can download your little charts. It's, it's very bad for that. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is like, you know, I grew up on like the first sort of music scene, first music i mean apart from spice girls and savage garden as a five-year-old but <laughs> the first music i remember really liking as a kid was like the sort of grunge my dad would listen to you know like alice in chains and Soundgarden and stuff and you know i think i really grew up with this idea that you know you don't want to be a sellout and most of my favorite musicians as a kid are like dead from suicide or overdose now and there is like a part of me that sometimes like yeah, like often, like what does it mean to be like authentic or like a sellout? You know, it's like selling out is not a thing that people talk about anymore. Like everyone's goal is to sell out. Like, it's oh my God, a brand yeah. endorsement on my social media. And I, I'm no fucking different, but I feel like at least I try to maintain, I have. To, I suppose I have two things I think. One is that if I, if I really think it's meaningful to make the artwork that I want to make and not have to sell my time to a company, then if I have to put on the hat sometimes of knowing how to market myself so that I can spend that time making my own artwork, then that is like a net. It's a net good for me and for anyone who actually wants to see the work I do and not see so many artists are like, you know, going to be working for Disney for the next 20 years under an NDA and will never see their stuff. And they're like 30 times as good as me. And part of me feels like that's a bummer, you know? Mm, yeah. And the other side is just like, I mean, I think I feel like there are like selling like a print that looks really beautiful on someone's wall. Like, I don't feel that that's I guess I don't find anything immoral about that. No. <laughs> and all the artists who I thought complained about sellouts all had record contracts, of course. And so. <laughs> well, yeah, one, one kind of analogy, I, you know, on the selling out, because I, I actually paint like for my nine to five, I paint ads for a living with um. Uh, so yeah, they're just oh, yeah, just bought, billboards. Some... Yeah, but yeah. what I really am nice. you know, being, oh, yeah, it's it's actually a pretty fun job. But um, you know, but you know, Alex uh, Alex Gray used to make Coca Cola adverts, right? I didn't know that actually. I did not I know. I think that. he did some. <laughs> yeah, like everyone's been there. But I kind of think like really like you know it's easy to say that's selling out. But I think if you're unable to survive off your art, working at a cafe or something, that's kind of more selling out because you're you're actually not using your ability or talent that um, might be reaching people. You're, you're, you're kind of chasing mm. someone else's dream when you become a worker. And there's there's nothing wrong with that at, um, to work work for those. But I just got to a point where I was just like, no, I know what I want to do, you know. And if painting ads kind of allows me to scrub up my skills during that, then I'm cool with that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I feel like if you, you can frame it, boy, like I used to paint, I don't know, like I worked for a company for a while where I was doing – portraits for online slots machines and stuff all oh, right <laughs> i feel like whenever you get involved in something like that you just got to frame it as um yeah i would always frame those things as a technical challenge you know i'm going to see how quickly i can solve these kind of problems and then those are skills i can carry forward into my own work and nothing's a waste of time in that sense yeah totally and you but um I mean, it's not like any of us chose to be born under the sort of economic conditions and system we're in. I don't think it's really fair to blame people for needing to be able to sort of exist within reason, you know. You can also, I feel like there are like unethical ways of sort of cynically extracting money from other people. But my goal is, I feel like 
if I wanted, there are so many more things I could be doing if my goal was just to monetize my Instagram account as much as I wanted. Mm. You know, like I feel like if I got some business consultant in, they would be mad at, you know, I don't, I actually don't really do that much. I just do a few prints a year and some sculptures and my originals and that's kind of it. When did um like when did your success when did your success really kind of blow up for you? Was it purely uh, Instagram or what? Uh, or was it online? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I was sort of like from a youngish age, I was having what felt. I mean, I always felt like relatively like. I mean, I remember if I yeah, I would just do like commissions for companies every now and then. There were lots of. I feel like over the years there've been lots of small, steady moments that felt like little wins or level ups and it's just kind of grown logarithmically so in the beginning it feels very very slow a company that would never hire you before will hire you a more exciting job or slightly better pay and then slightly worse again and but the whole sort of like i moved in 2015 i moved back out to sweden uh, ostensibly to visit my school for a month where i'd been studying a year and a half earlier so I've been, I've been a graduate from Sarah for a year and a half and then in, been living in London and been through a breakup and then moved around between my cousins and Airbnbs and not really able to afford living in London. Uh, so I thought I would go visit the school for a month and basically ended up never leaving and uh, working there. But when I came out, I think my Instagram had like 10,000 followers i remember noticing it go from four numbers to two and being like huh that's cool Mm. and then it pretty much just tripled every year for a few years so it was like 10 to 30 30 to 90 90 to like close to 300 that kind of thing all just Um, organically yeah there is this yeah exactly i mean there's a certain thing where um it felt like it took years and years to find my lane and then one there was a sense of once the artwork was able to market itself, it didn't take that much effort. Yeah. But just posting it fairly regularly. Like there were years and years where there was, there was nothing I could have done to make people care about my bad fantasy art that I used (laughs) to try and make. Like it wouldn't have mattered if I had, I just don't think there's a trick. Like if your work doesn't, there's still no more powerful. Like I see artwork all the time, right? Online. It's very rare that I see a piece and I think I've got to send that to my friend who paints as well. Like some of my art friends, like you've got to see this. Like there's this kind of threshold of tagging a friend or telling a friend about it in conversation. There's tons and tons of really good work. And there's like a few artists a year where I do that. And the goal is to always try and yeah, be me. It sounds so egotistical because it sounds like I'm trying to say this about myself. But the goal is like I'm I'm trying to make work that I that sort of spreads itself. You know, if someone will tag a friend or send to a friend or just talk about or you've well um, well and truly done be, that, man. Definitely, definitely achieved that quite well. Yeah, yeah. But that I mean, like it really did sort of just kind of. Um, it did grow organically and there's a little, like, I know that I have uh, what's that called? Like survivorship bias. Like I actually don't know what about my own situation is repeatable or luck. I don't know if the Instagram algorithm has made it impossible for small pages to grow any, like, I just don't know any of that. All, All I know is from my experience, I was posting on Instagram for like 
four or five years with nothing really growing. Then it started to grow a little bit as my work started to find its lane. And then just as I consistently built up a body of work over time, um, the more people you reach, the more people you can reach. You know, if as it gets bigger, if more people are sharing it, there is a sort of logarithmic growth for a while. And then I imagine it must peter out. Otherwise, it would become hmm. bigger than the Earth's population within 10 years, yeah. which is not going to happen. <laughs> if it was actually logarithmic, you know, it's sort of yeah. like a S-curve. I think the lesson there, though, um, with yours is I think you actually focused on your work rather than on on the, the um, you know, the social media and marketing side of it. You actually made yeah. your work to a point where it was unignorable for people. Like it just captivates. Um, every, I mean, every time I, yeah. I look at it, it's any person I show who's not even in, interested in art it just goes, oh, wow, like – Instantly but that's moved. that's the goal man like mm. we ha- you have to get outside the bubble of just other artists and you have to make like i just took an honest look at my work and i said no knock on me this doesn't say anything about my value as a person my self-esteem how much effort i've put into learning my skills but i just looked at my work and i was like this is fucking boring mm-hmm. like I share this on my art forums and other people who care about me and know how long I've spent drawing will look and be like excited to see that I've progressed on this front or this front, you know, they'll, they'll have things to be excited about, but I show my auntie and it's like, Oh, it's cool. You're still doing the drawing, but she doesn't give a shit about the things I was painting. And why would she, I didn't give a shit about it. And I've always like connected you know, I didn't grow up religious and I would connect like my ability to connect with the most powerful ideas in life. And with my brother growing up was the music we shared, the books we were reading, the movies we were watching. And I've always been so passionate about those things. You know, I had such a passionate taste in music. I wasn't just into like anything where, Oh, they're playing their instruments. Well, Mm. you know, that's kind of how I feel I was being as an artist is it took me so long to learn to draw that I was like a musician who was like, but, you don't know how hard it is to play this guitar part. And I'm like, I'm sorry. It just, the music doesn't sound good to me. And I just finally had this moment where I was like, um, I put so much of my life into doing this and I've come this far to compromise at the end because I think the only job is in fantasy art. And I just felt like, what is the fucking point in spending, of dedicating my life to this, to just, to just be mediocre at it. And I really wanted to like, I just have this intense feeling sometimes of I only have so long to be living and breathing and feeling these things. And I, and I feel something so intensely or have such a um, weird sense of that something seems profound and meaningful to me. And I was like, I just got to find a way to put that into my drawing. Mm. And, um, you know, it comes with like large highs and lows. I think the more you're trying to invest of yourself in it, the more you start, you know, when I'm not creating stuff, I really blame it on myself or I really feel like, uh, and the, and the fear just changes. Like now that, now that I've like have some kind of audience, the fear isn't, Oh, will I ever make it? It's like, will I have made it and lose it? Will I look back and think, oh, you you had something when you were younger and then you got boring, you got repetitive or people lost interest or you became too sort of jaded or lost in, you know, your mind numbed out by worrying about the mortgage repayments and shit. So it's sort of like um, 
that sort of fear is always there. So my focus is always, and has always just been on the next drawing. Like when I was a student, it was like, I, I used to try to put myself in a headspace where I had no sense of, I didn't care what day it was, what time it was. Creativity happens like now. If something is going to happen, it happens now in the moment. It doesn't matter which way the planet's facing and yeah. where you are on it. And I just felt like I would try to take the work really seriously. Like for some reason it is cosmically important. I make my next drawing and put some work into it. And then I can laugh at that later and think that was a weird headspace to get me into. But when I'm in my studio, I try to, I try to, um, yeah, like this is, I try to think this is my life's work and I want to approach it with the same seriousness that other people I've always looked up to do. Like I put my full attention and efforts into it. And the more I do that, the more I find that I'm, uh, that it's interesting and enjoyable as well. Like most of the time I've ever bored, it's because I've let myself settle for boring work or I've let other values creep in the way. Like I'll suddenly be hopping halfway through a drawing and I'll be like, I'm just making this because I felt like I needed something to post this week. This sucks. Like, right. you know, move on. Mm. Like you got to learn to like, let go when, or recognize like, I mean, it's hard, you know, it's, it's not, it's like you don't get yourself into that inspired creative mind state and then you're just there forever. It's continuous work and you've, and it feels like the world is trying to pull you out of it. You know, the more you're, you ever had that experience when you, I don't know if you've ever sort of, um, it's going to sound really stupid, but have you ever like tripped and look at your ID and been like, who's that? You know, <laughs> you just sort of, this role that you're being asked to play. Yeah, right. This name you respond to, the, your, your social security number, your bank account, like all the, you'll just get a head, your head will spin and you're like, how does he do it? Like, how am I playing this exhausting game? And I feel like the creative part of you is, is just awareness in the present moment. It's when you can get your attention free enough to just be here right now and get lost in ideas. And it is so hard to not be, not have that bashed out of your head living yeah. in. Like, I, I guess as a kid, I used to think it would happen. You know, you picture that it's like that, that kind of, um, that it happens in a more dramatic way, but it's just, it's just, I think it's just the accumulation of responsibility and things that feel so important that you don't have time to time or energy to think and dream about stuff. And, um, I tried last night, like I was just, you know, every evening I've gone to this habit of just like watching the Netflix show or playing animal crossing or some shit. And I was like, I'm just going to like lie on the couch and put some music on and just, just think, just like lie down. I like got, I like lay there for a while. I was trying to practice, like just aimlessly visualizing things in my head and playing around with ideas. And actually like, and I was like, God, it's like hard to think. Like I've forgotten <laughs> how tiring, like, you know, it's difficult. Yeah. <laughs> and I got, I got some ideas I'm really excited about. And I was like, hmm, I should think more often. Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome, man. It's hard. I, I recommend it guys. Like yeah. try just, uh, Try not filling the void with uh, entertainment yeah. as you're bored. Mm. Coming yeah. from someone who does that all the time. That's yeah, that's awesome. <laughs> um, <laughs> I was wondering uh, as I was like looking through your work uh, today and yesterday, over the last few days actually, um, I found it 
kind of really interesting to take note of the types of work that I was instantly drawn to because your yeah. your work kind of explores such a range of uh, emotions and um, mental states even. Um, I, mm. I was actually even wondering with your work would be like a really great tool for like psychologists to present to someone and uh, as a really mm. great indicator as to what resonates and where, where they're at because just even just taking notice of the ones that I really um, – Mm. Uh, yeah, resonated with. I'm like, you know, you take a step back, and you're like, oh, that's interesting. Actually, there's there's almost a common thread yeah. here. Um, I had a really one of the sweetest, like sweetest and like most touching bits of feedback I ever had online was from someone who, I mean, they they talked about having been through like a like some really heavy stuff with like self harm and a like a suicide attempt and find trying to find like therapist they could connect with and they talked about like it was actually showing one of the pieces of artwork that they felt like helped establish a way of communicating with their therapist and I remember thinking like I mean it's just like that one moment I remember thinking I don't like it it really moved me because it's not obviously it's not what I'm planning or what I I mean it's, it's weird it's like I understand that I'm trying to play with ideas that are very um I mean, how should I put it? It's like if you if you manage to pull an emotion up in someone with a piece of artwork, you didn't invent that emotion. Um, it's really not on me. Like if someone connects to a sense of profound sadness or loneliness or joy, or it remi- like people will tell me that something reminds them of someone in their life dying, and it's like that's actually really nothing to do with me. Like that's the whole point is I'm trying to hold up a mirror to life itself right i mean that's all anyone creating artwork can do is remix and play with things that are already present in the world Hmm. and um like even you know even heavily abstract or alien looking work is really not that alien like you know giga Hmm. it may not look like anything you've ever seen on earth but it's sexual it's mechanical it's biological i mean it's just playing with forces and patterns that we recognize from the natural world right just combining them in novel and amazing ways same with like Beksinski you know they look like these I love hellscapes and yeah he's one of my one of my goats yeah yeah that one that you did and like homage beautiful with the um all the fingers coming out of the the girl's head such a beautiful oh he's great yeah I just wanted to draw fingers like that because I just always (laughs) think they look so amazing and sometimes Creepy, I'll have an right? idea and I'll be like, you know, I'm always repeating like faces and stuff. And then one time I was like, oh, I could try that with hands. Like hands are also very psychologically potent. And then I was like, ah, oh, no, it's just Beksinski. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I want to do it anyway, but I'll, I'll just make it a homage, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's a <laughs> and, beautiful um, piece. Yeah. Hmm. Oh man. I was on a train of thought. Yeah. Sorry. It's like, I don't think, no, it's okay. I, I don't think, um, yeah, when I say when I say like, there are some stories like that where I find it hard to share them because it sounds like I'm trying to. Um, it's like I'm not trying to, like I said, like I'm trying to play with big ideas in my own head, and then when it actually works, it's actually sometimes a little bit. Um, it's like very humbling, like you know, when I made that lost piece where it's the 
woman holding like the melting figure. That was one of my favorites, that, man. That was one of my. I've, yeah, yeah. I've got a short list of four, but that one, the, the yeah. pain and um, helplessness in her expression, in her eyes, yeah. is you've captured it really amazingly. And just this. Well, just to, like, again, like it was so humbling for me because, I mean, it came from, I think I was in the middle of another drawing I really liked and it was just taking so long that I, sometimes if a piece is taking forever, it's like, I just want to put it on the back burner for a while so that I don't, I don't just rush to the end. I can come back when it feels fresh again. And so I remember thinking like, oh, I just want to do, I, I mean, the thought was literally like, I just want to make something um, fun and kind of easy and comfort zone -y. And like, I always used to love drawing like melty, goopy, whatever stuff. And, and then suddenly this idea started, uh, I think I was doodling around and I was listening to some sort of, uh, I think like a Jack Cornfield lecture. He's like a meditation yeah, guy. Yeah, I love Jack Cornfield. Yeah. And he, yeah, he was, I mean, they were sort of talking about the uh, futility of trying to hold on to something in an impermanent universe. You know, I think they said it's like trying to smooth choppy water with an iron. Like you're trying to sort of iron the surface of a lake. Mm. And, you know, as, <laughs> as you're doing it, you just sort of picture that you are just creating more ripples, right? Like, there's some, yeah. the, the mind trying to hold on and find security is often actually creating that tension that is uh, so painful. And, you know, there's lots of themes of surrender in my work and just that, you know, we have no choice really as people but to surrender to what we don't understand. And, and anyway, this kind of watery grasping of water idea just kind of like triggered a little neuron in my head. And I was like, oh, it'd be beautiful to have someone yeah, like trying to hold on to a person that's like turning the water in their hands. Mm. And um, and then that concept evolved eventually into like that drawing. And like I haven't had someone um, really close to me die. I mean, people around me have died, but not sort of an immediate family or a close friend. And I would say the drawing was more made in, I sometimes feel this intense anticipation that it's just inevitable you know, you die first or the people you love uh, will die. You know, it's like that there's, there's really no other outcome. And sometimes that just, I, that feel, I feel like I'm already trying to hold on to people knowing that we can't, we can't hold on to each other. We can just be here now, but there's no sort of, it's, it's hard to sort of have that in your mind when you're with someone you love or with a close friend. It's, it's almost hard to imagine that it's real. But so, you know, it came from a place where I almost felt like I, I haven't fully earned the right to know what that feels like. You know, like I have this sense of, I mean, I've experienced loss around like, I don't know, like your first breakup when you were younger, you grieve over it sometimes for people. I felt like that was grief for me. Like for some reason, I took it really badly when I was like 19. And, oh, I went through the same thing, um, man. <laughs> Yeah, like when it's like real grief, like you're really, like really for a long time, my, uh, I was like seriously sad in a way that I think I was actually enjoying in a self-indulgent way in hindsight. But, you know, I, I, when I started hearing from like this image goes, it just really gets around and I would see like it was shared in a, like a Facebook group for like grieving like mothers who'd lost their children or 
I would hear from people who had lost family members to suicide or parents. And just, it was almost like, you know, I felt like I tried to play with this idea that I don't even feel worthy of necessarily fully owning yet. And then I'm, and then it's like working for people who have been there. It was a real trip. You know, it's like to to feel like you tapped into something that you don't even, it made me think about like how much do people, how much we, we already know. I don't know, like how much, I feel like we know what so many things feel like maybe larger than what we've even experienced sometimes, or there's a kind of connective, it made me think about collective, like a lot of, sometimes in my work, I feel like I'm not trying to just paint my sadness, but just like all sadness or what is sadness, you know, like trying to really like make it expensive like that. What would that look like? How would I depict that? How would I try to get that to come through in a piece of work and you know, most of the time when I work on stuff, it doesn't feel like some big, cra- you know, it doesn't feel psychedelic or crazy. It's just like, oh, okay, I've got to move this edge. It's not soft enough. I've got to do yeah. this. Yeah. But there are just those real moments where it comes together and you, and, and it's, it's like you called out into the void and then a voice actually comes back and you're like, Ooh, that's a little spooky. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Just weird yeah does that make any it's absolutely a long ramble. it's amazing it's amazing to hear actually <laughs> because uh yeah i mean so much like that piece really resonates with me i mean some pieces yeah. resonate with me and i don't even know why i was i was actually wondering i know hmm. yeah you like to leave things open but there's one piece that i just thought was so beautiful it's um oh, i'm happy happy to talk about them too yeah great awesome um, so it's basically this, uh, what appears to be a really large, um, female figure in the sky and she's, cr- um, kind of in a fetal position and there's a small, like to scale, there's a landscape below trees would be the size of her toe or something. And her whole spine, uh, okay, yeah, yeah. her whole spine from yeah. tailbone to the back of top of her head yeah. is split open and, and light is just shining out. But it's the 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 way you've painted the light actually is like a laser, almost you know, like in a like it's scanning. Yeah, yeah, the yeah exactly. Like a almost like a laser. Yeah, picking up on the clouds and showing. Yeah, totally. And you can see the cross section of where it's hitting the trees as just a line. And I, again, I don't yeah. exactly for that one. The meaning's not entirely obvious to me, but that really resonated with me for some reason. I love that's it. That's really inspired by. Um, I can't remember if it's a Rumi quote or a Leonard Cohen quote or both, <laughs> but there's some sort of, there's some sort of phrase that goes something along the lines of the wound is how the light enters or like, uh, mm. uh, and, and the Leonard Cohen phrase is like, there's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. I forget yeah. how it goes, but yeah, you know, it's this, this idea of um, poetically what that means to me is um so I take the light as something that could be, I mean, from a more secular viewpoint, it could be connection to, I don't know, I've had mo- moments in my life where you really connect to a sense of love that is bigger than just yourself, you know, that it, where, where you realize people who are telling you love is just a chemical reaction in your head, is, you know, is actually missing the point, like, the fact that, I hate that something exists. 
yes, something exists that consciousness exists and that there is this field of love that is so expansive and seems to be so at the base of what it means to be a human being. So to me, it's the, tra- it's the transcendent. It's any moment that connects you to um, something bigger than yourself. To me, that comes with that relief of diminished fear of dying, diminished fear of living, a sort of sense of meaning and connection, right? And the idea of the, the, the wound being how the light gets in, the, the suffering is often, um, you know, how we reach a place of real compassion or grace. Like if you, like when you said earlier, like, I'm sorry, you went through the panic attacks. Part of me just felt like, well, I mean, by this point in my life, I don't feel like it was a bad thing. I just feel like um, it really made me a more, like a better listener and um, yeah, more, more empathetic to people who struggle with stuff like that. And so I, it's it's sort of loosely, um, yeah, just like a surreal poetic depiction mm. inspired by that quote. But it doesn't, you know, it's again, like it doesn't, some of it is just playful. Some of it is just like you're thinking, oh, imagining this beam of light going across a landscape and wouldn't it look cool to see it pick on the clouds or track over the roof of a village. And then sometimes I'll just be drawing a village and you're just bob rushing out. You're just like, Look at that cozy light. Who lives there? What's their life like? You know, yeah, yeah. that little light off in the horizon that's further away. Is that the hermit on the edge of town? What's he doing tonight? Does he have a fire going? It's like, sometimes it's like, I think just getting lost in your world and making it feel tangible will heighten the emotional connection because we just feel this um, sense that this imaginary place is real and the things that happen there matter. Like sometimes I just finish off a drawing by finding some textural element or something like someone's hand grasping some grass, something that maybe connects you to another, another sensory input or a piece of sunlight tracking over the skin. You might suddenly, as you look at it, remember what warm sunlight feels like, or remember like when you've grabbed some grass or things that like bring up other bodily sensations, I think help you to, get lost in this world and and again just like open you more up for the real like what the point of this image is you know Mm. and i always think there's something cute about realism but people spend so much time just being like you know people you're seeing perfectly realistic stuff all the time and most people aren't that blown away by it and you just walk around and things look real and then when someone else takes the time to like paint something and show it to you you're like wow that's really what it looks like like there's something adorable about it to me it's like you painted an apple. That is what apples look like. Like it's funny that very serious adults make their career around this sort of like, look, I made it look like the thing. And I don't mean that to make fun. I think that's really sweet. That's one of the reasons I'm drawn to it is I think it's kind of like just worshiping the visual sense. And um, so in an image like that, it's a mixture of there's often some feeling or some quote or some line that inspired me to follow an idea there's not really a clear idea of like, you know, this means this, this means this. And that's why this, this, this often it's more like there's just a sort of conceptual core that I love the look of that feels interesting. And then, uh, and then I just kind of flesh out the world in a way that feels like it supports the vibe or mood or meaning of the piece. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome, man. And I do, I do have one more spiel, but it takes ages to explain, or maybe not that long. Go for it. But I do think it'll be interesting, but please, I feel a bit please, self-conscious please. about it. Go for it. Blabbing in the mouth. Okay. Well, like, I'd never, I didn't think about this consciously, but I was listening to something the other day, and it really made me think about my own work a little bit. So there's this podcast called Mindscape. Sean Carroll, who's a physicist, and he has on mathematicians, physicists, artists, like all kinds of people. And uh, it's great. It's often quite a heavy lesson, hard to get through. But, you know, I like all my sort of, some of my bit softer, cuddlier Buddhist talks or psychedelic speakers. And then sometimes I like to listen to very rigorous materialist scientists just to sort of like balance my diet yeah yeah yeah, (laughs) he's very much in that category but he had this person on talking about um uh how we think about uh numbers space time language like abstract thinking and a lot of her thesis was the human brain is we have really developed spatial reasoning like we've evolutionarily a very, have a very developed sense of understanding spatial relationships between objects, uh, how things move, transform, rotate, how they relate relative to each other in space. And we hijack that reasoning for understanding all kinds of abstract ideas that we don't really have the same intuition for. So when most people think about time, um, the way you conceptualize past, present, future is normally determined by how you uh, have culturally been conditioned to think of, for example, cultures that write left to right. If you ask them to arrange a picture of a young, old and middle-aged person, they'll always do it left to right. Most people from cultures that write right to left do the opposite. Same if you tell them to go up, down or down up. And then there were some really crazy examples of tribes in Papua New Guinea who um, the cardinal directions, northeast, southwest, were super important to them. And they would always arrange past to present, east to west. So if you had them facing north, they did it left to right. If you had them facing south, they did it right to left. Wow. If you had them facing west, they would do it going away from them. And, you know, you get it. Hmm. And so for them, past to future went east to west. It didn't, it was objective. It didn't matter which way you were facing. They always knew the directions based on all kinds of cues in the environment. And wherever you turn them, this is the direction past to future goes. Whereas we carry this idea that, you know, the past and future rotates with us, which is also kind of strange if you think about it. Mm. And there's all kinds of experiments. Like like if I ask you, if I say we're going to have a call next Thursday, and then I say, can we move that forwards Tuesday, two days? Uh, what day do you think it's going to be on? And I said, let's move that call forward two days. Saturday. Uh, is that interesting? Yeah, it splits people like 50-50. Oh, wait, hold on. Yeah, moving forward mean, yeah, I get I get you. Yeah. No, but no, but there's, no, there's literally no right answer. It, it splits people 50-50. So whatever your intuition is. And that, that sort of depends on whether you view yourself as moving. If you're moving through a landscape called time, you're moving towards Saturday and moving it forwards perhaps is shifting it, you know, mm. further into the future. But if you're stationary with time moving around you, then moving forwards might be moving towards you. And, and it gets even crazier if you load people, if you like preload people with experiments, like where you get them to sit in a chair and pull another chair towards them. 
so they get this certain kind of spatial reasoning in their head, then they'll answer one of the direction, one of the ways all the time. And if you get them to do different experiments where they push things away, then they're more likely to think moving forwards in time is going towards Saturday. So, but her whole point was that um, our spatial reasoning is very manipulative, malleable, and, um, and we use it for all kinds of things. And I, I started thinking that in a sense, what I'm trying to do with my work is depict complex and abstract feelings using, using our spatial reasoning. You know, to pick a really obvious example, like someone being torn in two, when it's drawn in a way that's obviously not meant to be like torture porn or gory, like the obvious symbolic meanings of in two minds, you know, split between two halves, two decisions, or being torn apart in some, you know, it's like immediately people try to come up with narratives that explain the spatial transformation. So I sometimes think maybe the essence I don't do it consciously, but what draws me to different ideas is when there's an inherent story or narrative behind the spatial transformations, whether it's like repetition, recursion, rotations, um, like copying. There's always some sort of, yeah, what, what is the story of what's happening here? Is some form looping? Is it repeating? Is it transforming? Is it... Uh, you know, and, and that's kind of where the story and narrative comes from. And I, and I, I guess it kind of made things click for me that, you know, that, yeah, our spatial reasoning is just so developed that that's a really easy place to, but people understand that very well, hmm. even if they couldn't tell you why it makes any sense. Yeah. Did any of that make any sense? Yeah, yeah, it did. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's really, um, it's really cool to hear you kind of, you're a deep thinker, man. It's, it's awesome. I think you've got a lot of, um, oh. you're really, uh, again, I don't mean to say anything about, you know, being young, but you, you're so wise for, uh, this takes people so long, many, many, most people so long to kind of get to a place where they can think like that. And it's really inspiring, actually. It's really awesome. Mm. <laughs> oh, thanks. Yeah. I mean, I don't know, you know. I spend half my time being a moron, so <laughs> you just got to ask. The, yeah, my girlfriend just walked in and nodded when I said that. <laughs> <laughs> so girlfriends are four. <laughs> yeah. No, that's wicked. She, I, I, she sees through the facade. Yep. Yep. No, I'm kidding. I mean, <laughs> I love also. No, I mean, that it's you. just you know, like yeah, sometimes, and then, and then, uh, I don't know. Yeah, maybe this is just what it actually feels like to I think whenever I look at other creative people I always presume there's some especially my creative feelings there's some experience they're having and I don't know what it is and maybe it just actually when it's like if you're making stuff it doesn't just it doesn't feel like that much it just feels like I'm still just drawing and it's other people who I can't seem to understand their reactions to it yeah yep totally (laughs) (laughs) absolutely um dude we've um we've smashed it um nice thank you so much for this uh, this awesome conversation dude i got a a, i'm definitely going to be listening to this one a a few times back got a lot out of it man (laughs) um but i feel like it took me 10 minutes to wake up in the beginning when i was um Oh yeah, I'm feeling time. a bit embarrassed about my attempts at analyzing what the <laughs> coronavirus will do to the economy, <laughs> not my wheelhouse. 
<laughs> yeah, just some light conversation. Go somewhere else in. for that advice. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> um, how yeah. about, so how, what's the best uh, way people can, so your Instagram or what if people want to buy your prints, where do they go? All your plugs. Um, <laughs> I feel like I'm frustratingly hard to get prints from, but the best way to not miss them is to go on my website, which is uh, milesjohnstonart.com. And there's a little mailing list sign-up form. You will never hear from me except for when prints are coming and nothing will be taken personally if you want to unsubscribe as soon as you've got what you want. Uh, I really don't want to spam anyone's email inboxes, but just very a few times a year you'll get uh, if new originals are being released or prints or whatever, everything hears from those people hear from me first. And honestly, like if I'm doing limited edition things, you kind of have to be on the list to get anything now. Um, and for the time limited releases, it's just a way to, you know, I think like whenever I post something that's an ad on Instagram, it doesn't tend to like it's not as interesting people have seen the work before those posts don't do as well and then people miss them and the amount the amount of times i do a three-day release window and then i hear from people two days later because i always feel like i'm spamming the link too much and there's always some amount of people who wish they had got it so it's like if you want to print it's best to just be on the mailing list awesome. and um and there's a little sign up form at the bottom and also, I try to make him funny sometimes when I send out my emails so you can laugh at my bad writing. And, <laughs> uh, yeah, just, I mean, the website has links to everything. Or Instagram, Miles Art, or I actually am on Twitter, which I'm enjoying, though it's completely insane. I do enjoy it in there. <laughs> I think that's like Miles hyphen Johnston. Um, yeah. <laughs> I should know. <laughs> but yeah, no, no worries. No need. That's awesome, man. I really appreciate this, dude. And um, everyone jump on, have a look at his work. If you haven't already, it is just breathtaking. But um, thanks, brother. Legend. <laughs> Thank you. It's been good. Yeah, it's been really good. Cheers. See you, everybody. <laughs>